Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you again today. Hope you're doing well. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you're staying safe and staying healthy, but we're glad that you've joined us together, even though not physically. We're glad that you've joined us together today uh, to worship God together. I heard a story about three preachers who were out fishing together, and as they were talking and chatting and, and just hanging out with each other, the conversation turned a little bit more serious in nature, and one of them turned to the other two, and he said, you know, as as pastors, one of the things is that people are always coming to us to kind of share their struggles and, and, and to ask us to pray for them, but we don't always have people that we can go to to share our struggles with and have them pray for us. And so I thought it'd be good for us as, as the three of us as pastors just kind of lean on each other and, and help each other and pray for each other in our struggles. And the other two agreed and thought it was a good idea. And so the first guy said, well, I'll go first. And he said, you know, I, I just, one of my struggles is that when I see a pretty woman my eyes start to wander and, and my mind starts thinking things that it just should not be thinking. And, and so I, I just would really appreciate you guys praying for me in that area of my life. And the other guy, the second guy said, yeah, I, 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 you know, one of my struggles is that I, I struggle with gambling. And I've tried to stop, but, but it just keeps pulling me back in. And so I just really would appreciate, appreciate you guys holding me accountable and, and really praying for me and helping me in that area of my life. And so the first two shared, and, and then they turned to the third guy who was kind of being quiet and wasn't saying a whole lot. And, and so finally they said, well, what, what is it that you struggle with? And he kind of hesitated for a second, and then he kind of looked up with a sheepish grin, and he said, well, I, I struggle with gossip. I think we all know the reality all too well that bad news, like the saying goes, bad news, especially gossip at times, but bad news travels fast. But what if good news traveled that fast? Or maybe a better question, what if the good news traveled that fast? We're starting a new series this week called Going Viral. And certainly over these past several weeks, we've, we've seen not only does bad news travel fast, but so does, unfortunately, the spread of, of this deadly COVID-19 virus that, that we're dealing with as a country and a world. And we've seen it gone viral in all the wrong ways. But long before going viral was used to describe how something spread biologically in terms of an infectious disease, and even certainly long before going viral was used to describe how something spread through cyberspace and the advent of technology and social media, going viral is the story that the book of Acts in the Bible tells. Going viral is the story that, that we see throughout the book of Acts and the people that are involved. And, and so for the next several weeks, you and I are going to be journeying through the book of Acts as we look at what it looks like. What, what does it mean? What does it look like when the message of the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ goes viral through people and through communities and ultimately through the world? Because from the beginning, Jesus' intention for us as his followers, is to do just that, to go viral, for us to be carriers of his life and his wisdom and his teachings, the story of his death and ultimately the story of his resurrection, which we just celebrated last Sunday. And you know, for those early followers of Jesus, that reality of the resurrection is what ignited their faith in such a way that it spurred them on to go viral with the message of Jesus Christ. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we just celebrated Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, 
that the resurrection too in our lives will be an igniter to our faith that will spur us on to go viral with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books of the, or of the New Testament. We often call them the, the Gospels. And then after that, you have Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1 of Acts, and we're going to be starting in verse 3. Certainly you can follow along on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there at this time. But here's what Luke, who's the writer of Acts, says. After his suffering... He, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus' very last words to his followers before he left this earth and returned to heaven were these words, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings, this wasn't just a message for a little band of followers. This is a message that everybody needed to hear and believe and live in light of. This was a message that the whole world needed to hear because Jesus, the message of salvation, the gift of salvation that he came to bring wasn't just for the few, but for everybody, for the whole world. It was a message that he wanted to go viral. And when you read the book of Acts, you find that that's exactly what it did. Acts chapters 1 through 7 is the story of it spreading throughout Jerusalem. Acts chapters 8 and 9 is the story of it spreading through Judea and Samaria. And Acts chapters 10 through the rest of the book through chapter 28 is the story of it spreading throughout the rest of the world and, and eventually on, as we still see it today, spreading to the ends of the earth. Did you know, and maybe some of you know this, but did you know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, The Gospels are the most translated piece of literature in human history. And yet, there are still many, many people who do not have the Gospels in their native language. There are still many, many unreached people groups who have never heard the story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so still today, the Gospel still needs to be taken to the ends of the earth. But going viral isn't just about taking Jesus to the ends of the earth where they don't know anything about him. It's also about taking Jesus to those places that may be somewhat familiar with him, 
but they haven't caught Jesus yet. I mean, let's, let's just be honest here. We, we all know people in, in our sphere of influence, and certainly in our communities and in our country and in our world, who, who may be familiar with Jesus, but they haven't been infected with him and therefore haven't been affected by him. There, there are many in our world who, who know about Jesus, but, but they don't really know him as their Lord and their Savior. And even that can be true for us as, as Christians who bear the name Christians, that we, we don't truly have that depth, that, that, we, that we haven't yet been infected and affected by him. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or, or anything like that, but, but I've seen it even in my own life. That even if we bear the name Christian, sometimes it can be more about heritage than it is about faith. Because somebody can, can know Jesus, but just because you know about Jesus doesn't mean that you've been infected by him and ultimately affected by him. I read a story about a guy named Arthur Burns. He was a, an economist in the mid-1900s, actually served and worked under several U.S. presidents, but but he was asked to, to pray at a, a gathering for public politicians. And, and among, other, among other things, one of the things that he prayed for, here's the, the gist of his prayer. He prayed this, Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And he got a lot of amens to those things. But then he wrapped up his prayer by praying this, and Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. And that's not a bad prayer for us to pray over our country, over our communities, and even over our churches. The cool thing is the first place that Jesus sent his followers to be witnesses to was a place that was saturated with religion and ritual. Jerusalem. It began right there. It began right where they lived. And Jesus had a plan for his followers to be his witnesses right where they lived. So what does it mean to be a witness? Well, there's probably a lot of things that are included in that, but let me just give you three things today. The first thing is being a witness is about declaring, not condemning. Being a witness is about declaring who Jesus is, not, not condemning. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I love this, this phrase, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness and into his wonderful light. We are called to declare, not to condemn. Unfortunately, though, we we often get that turned around, but we are not in the, the condemning business. We are in the declaring business. The meaning of that word witness literally means to bear testimony. You and I are not prosecuting attorney, attorneys out to convict people. We are witnesses testifying and declaring to who Jesus is and what he's done and why it matters. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convince and to convict people of their sin, to convince and to convict people of their need for Jesus. Jesus talks about that in, in John chapter 16, verses eight through 11. You can go read that, but, but that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's not my job. It's my role and my job as a witness to declare to others about Jesus, not condemn. Here's the second thing about being a witness. Being a witness is about firsthand experience 
not just secondhand information. Now, let me be clear. The Bible is the source from which we get the truth about who Jesus is and what he did and why he matters. I want to make sure that that I, I get that through. But when we talk about being witnesses, we're not just talking about information. We're not just talking about head knowledge. We're also talking about getting personal with, with people, getting personal with, with, with somebody else in terms of saying, here's who he is to me. Here's what he's done for me. Here's why he matters to me. Now, certainly, again, I want to be clear, that has to line up with what Scripture says about who Jesus is and, and what he's done and, and why he matters. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But a witness is someone who who has firsthand knowledge or experience with the thing or the person that they're providing testimony about. Think about this. There's a difference between a witness and a reporter. There's a difference between how they, the the relationship that they have to the information. A reporter rarely has a a personal relationship with the information or or the person that they're working with. A, a witness does. Reporters know very little firsthand. Reporters simply report on what witnesses report on, on what they tell, on what they've seen, on what they've heard, on what they're saying. Witnesses are, are called to the stand in a trial to, to, to report or to, to give testimony to what they've witnessed, to what they've seen, to what they, they've experienced firsthand or some knowledge that they have of the situation or what's going on. They've seen something, they've heard something, they've experienced something firsthand. Hand. And so when we talk about going viral with the message of Jesus Christ, we're, we're not just talking about reporting on what the Gospels say or, or what Jesus has said or what he did. We're talking about going viral in terms of, of our witness, about sharing what a difference he's made in our lives, what, what, what his life and his teachings, his death, his resurrection, what, what difference has that made to me and in my life and the way I live and the way I think? That's your testimony. You see, and you can know it up here. You can know it up here generally. But unless it affects you here personally, it's never going to make a difference out there relationally. And so I would encourage you, just with, especially with all this free time that we have at home right now, just to sit down, spend some time, sit down and think about what difference has Jesus made in my life? What, what difference, what tangible difference, I, not, not just talking about it and saying it, but what, what difference has his life and his death and his teachings truly made for me personally? And maybe part of the problem is that we haven't spent enough time thinking about what a difference he's made in our lives because we haven't truly been infected by him and therefore haven't been affected by him in the way we live our lives. And so maybe you just need to sit down and and spend some time this week thinking about what difference is he, what difference has he made for me? Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for reporting on what you've seen and what you've heard. By the way, in many ways, that's what preaching is. A lot of of preaching is, is, is opening up the Bible and, and, and reading scripture and, and, and saying, here's, here's what it means, Here, here's what it's saying, or at least to the best of my knowledge, here's, here's what it means and, and what it says. And, and that's good. 
Don't get me wrong, that is absolutely good. And, and, and the Holy Spirit uses that to convict people and to, to grow people into open hearts and, and, and transform lives. But my preaching, and any preaching for that matter, was never meant to replace the power of your testimony. The two, the two work together, but it's never meant, it was never meant to replace the power of your testimony. Even in my preaching, think about it. You know, I can talk to you, I can open up scriptures to you, and I can, I can share with you to the best of my knowledge what, what I think a scripture is talking about and what, what Jesus and what God is trying to teach us through this. But, but until I, I get, it, it doesn't tend to be as impactful with you or personal with you until I, I start sharing things in my own life, my own struggles, stories from my own life where, where I say, here's how it's made a difference to me. Here's how it's impacted my life and how this stuff plays out in my own life. And then, then it becomes more personal and more impactful. Now you might be thinking, well, how can I be a witness to something or someone that I've never seen? And that's a good question. I mean, those first disciples, they were with Jesus. They saw him, they lived with him, they were with him from the beginning, they saw the resurrection but don't think that you have to witness something with your eyes in order to have firsthand knowledge of it. You can experience its effects and, and give testimony and witness to it as, as you see it working and, and you see its effects. For, for instance, take gravity. You, you can't see gravity, but you experience its effects. You can even testify to the reality of it and to the effects of it. For instance, if your child, a small child, starts to climb up a tree or into a high place, you, you can't see gravity, but I guarantee you, you're going to be witnessing and testifying to your child about the effects of it if they fall. Why? Because you, you realize and you've experienced the effects of even as something as simple as gravity. Or think about this. There are even people in the Bible who, who had a firsthand experience with Jesus, and yet they never saw him at least not in that encounter. I think about the, the blind man in John chapter nine. Jesus walks up to him and he, 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 he spits in the ground. He makes mud in the ground and then he puts it on, on, on the, the man's eyes. You couldn't do that in these days, but um, you, uh, not with all the quarantine stuff, but he puts the mud on his eyes and, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man goes and he, he washes and the mud comes off of his eyes and suddenly he can see clearly, but he never sees Jesus throughout that encounter. Now, a little bit later on, he, he sees Jesus because Jesus comes back to him. But in that moment, in that encounter, he never saw Jesus. You, you don't have to see Jesus physically in order to experience him or be touched by him. In fact, when the religious leaders come, come and they're looking for Jesus and they're investigating all that Jesus is doing, they come to this man who has been touched by Jesus. And, and when they come to him, and, and again, he hasn't seen Jesus in this moment, but they're peppering him and they're investigating Jesus and they're peppering this man with all these questions about you know, Jesus and, and they're, they're asking him more questions than he has answers to. And he simply says to them, listen, I don't have all the answers that you're asking me these questions to. But here's what I do know. One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. And I, I, I love that response for a number of just different reasons. First of all, because what better testimony is there than that? I, I, I don't know all the answers, but, but I was blind. And because of him, 
now I see. But I also love that because this, this man doesn't let what he doesn't know keep him from sharing what he does know. And I would, I would say the same thing to you. Don't let what you don't know keep you, from, keep you from sharing what you do know. This man shares what he knows. And listen, a witness may not know the whole story about Jesus Christ. Now, our, our goal is to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is and what he said and the life that he desires for us to live. But a witness may not know the whole story of Jesus, but they know their story. And they can't help but share it. And then third, being a witness is about show and tell. One of the things is, as you read through the book of Acts that you notice is that a lot of the times when somebody is, somebody is offering a testimony about Jesus, they're responding to a question that someone has asked of them because people notice something about that person's life, how they're responding in a certain situation, how they're responding in a, in a stressful situation, how they're living their lives in the midst of the circumstances that they may be going through. And so somebody asks a question and then the, 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 the people ask that question of that believer and that opens a door for that believer to be able to testify about Jesus. Think about this. Have you ever noticed that, that people are much more open to what you have to say when they ask you a question? Right? I mean, that's just, just natural that, that people are just much more open to what you have to say when they ask you a question. So here's my question to us as Christians. Do you have a life that causes others to want to ask the question? You know, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses by, by, by empowering us to live the kind of life that God has called us to live, the kind of life that provokes questions from others. So that when they see how you respond in your life, when they see how you respond in the midst of, of circumstances that are going on in your life, when they, when they see how you respond when things don't go according to plan, when they see how you respond in crisis like these that we're going through right now, when they see how you live your life and the kind of life that you live, they begin to wonder, how do you do that? How, how do you respond that way? I think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when he said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So I would ask you, can you give an answer to that question? When people ask you to give a reason for the hope that you have, can you give an answer to that question? That is such an important question for us to be able to answer. But as much as I want to be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that I have, I want to have the kind of life that makes people want to ask the question in the first place. And so that's why I say that, that being a witness is a matter of show and tell. So let me close by giving you two things to think about when it comes to, to going viral. First, Going viral happens naturally. If there's anything that we learn from the, the biological world, and certainly that's been confirmed by everything that we've seen over the last several weeks, is that it's just natural. You don't have to work 
to give a virus to anybody. In fact, over these last several weeks, we've, we've tried to have things in place that, that will prevent it from spreading. And yet, as we've seen, it still spreads because it just happens. It's just natural. The right environment, the right time, the right place. It's just natural. Now think about this. <clears throat> there, are, there are some things that are just natural for you to talk about. What is it for you? What is it that's just natural and easy for you to talk about? What just comes flowing out of your mouth? Whatever it is, the reason that it's, it's probably easy for you to talk about is because most likely that's what's stored up in your heart. Jesus says in Luke chapter six, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason why people have so much to say about a certain topic or about a certain subject is probably because that's what's stored up in their heart. And whatever it is that just naturally flows out of your lips, out of your mouth, that you, that you just naturally bring up in conversations with others, when you're talking, when you're chatting with others, is probably most likely because that's what's stored up in your heart. We share what's truly a part of us for better and for worse. And you can't share what you don't have. And maybe we need to do some examining of our hearts and consider how real is a relationship with Jesus to me? I mean, how much do I really believe this stuff? Am I just saying it or do I truly believe it? I love what a guy named Michael Novak, he's a a philosopher and a, an author. I, I love some of the stuff that he has to say on, on this subject. When, when he talks about beliefs and convictions, he says we can think about it in, in really three ways or three different levels. You know, we all have convictions about what we believe. And so, so he, he, he kind of narrows it down or focuses it into three levels. And you say you can think about your convictions, your beliefs in three, <clears throat> three different ways or three different levels. The, the first way he says is, is public convictions, the first level, I guess, if you would say. And those are the things that, that we, we say we believe and, and we want other people to think we believe, but we don't really believe them. We, 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 we're just saying it to fit in or, or maybe we're saying it to appease someone or to please someone. It's the stuff we, we say we believe, but we don't, we don't really believe it. And then the second level he talks about uh, public convictions is the first. The second level he talks about is, is private convictions. And these are the things that, that we, we really, truly, and genuinely say we believe and want to believe with all of our heart. But, but when something happens, or maybe circumstances change that, that puts that belief to the test, it makes us doubt what we thought we believed. It may even reveal that belief to be hollow. And so you got public convictions, you got private convictions, and then the third level of convictions that, that Novak talks about is what he calls core convictions. And core convictions are those things that we really and truly believe. And the reason he says you can tell that you really and truly believe them is because they're revealed by the way we live our lives. Our lives show what our core convictions are truly are. How, how we live naturally flows out of what our core convictions are. For instance, go back to gravity. If gravity is a core conviction of, of what we believe, of what I believe, I don't have to work hard to behave in such a way that's congruent and consistent with my belief in gravity. You know, I don't have to, 
to, to say, I, today I'm going to demonstrate my commitment to my belief in gravity. No, it just, it naturally flows out of my actions because I believe in, in gravity. That's a core conviction. My actions are always a result of my purposes and my core convictions. My actions tell you what I truly believe, what my core convictions are. And for far too many Christians, myself included, relationship with Jesus is more of a matter of public conviction and private conviction. But I want my relationship with Jesus to be at the core, to where I just reflexively live out of what I believe about who he is and what he said and why he matters. I, I'm living naturally out of that relationship with him. I, I can't help myself because here's the deal. A faith that's naturally viral is one that's at your core to where you just reflexively live out of it. You can't help but live it. You can't help but speak it to where you're like Peter and John in Acts chapter four, where they say we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. They couldn't help themselves because it was core. It was just, it just naturally flowed out of their lives and out of their mouths. But while the biological world shows us that that going viral happens naturally. The world of cyberspace reminds us that going viral also happens intentionally. Videos, blogs, tweets, posts, somebody hits send, somebody clicks on it, somebody shares it, somebody likes it, somebody retweets it, the list goes on and on. And so while you're waiting for your witness to become more natural, you can be more intentional. And I know that that looks a little bit different right now, being that we're all kind of confined to our homes. But these times present an incredible opportunity. People are much more open to faith and, and, and Jesus and, and conversations about those things. They're, they're much more open to you sharing an, an article or a devotional or a sermon or a scripture that this speaks to, to what we're going through right now or maybe something that, that they're going through specifically right now. And you don't have to jam it down people's throats, but, but look, in the course of, of our conversations and our interactions with others, it, it's just naturally going to those deeper things, those deeper issues. Honestly, you don't really even have to work at it. In fact, I think in many ways you have to work to not go there because it's just naturally we're moving past those surface things because we're dealing with those things. Those are things that are coming to the forefront because we're, we're asking those deeper questions and dealing with those deeper issues. And so take advantage of those opportunities. Take advantage of those open doors to be able to share the good news, the hope, the peace, the joy that comes through Jesus Christ. Be intentional. And certainly as always, I would encourage you to be praying for those people in your sphere of influence, people in your life who do not know the redeeming and salvific work of Jesus Christ. Pray for their hearts to be opened. Pray for doors to be opened. I think it is so critical for us to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. Lift them up to him, but don't stop there. Because when God gives you those, op those open doors, those, those opportunities, also pray that you'll courageously and intentionally 
speak up and share the good news of Jesus Christ. May our spirit be the spirit of the Apostle Paul when he said in Ephesians chapter 6, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may fearlessly and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, because it's not just about walking it out. It's also about talking it out. It's not just show, right? It's show and tell. And so be intentional. And listen, being a witness, being a missionary is more about living life with a certain intention than it is about going to a certain location. Don't underestimate the power of sending and sharing right where you are. You have no idea where it might lead. You have no idea how the message of Jesus Christ might go viral through you. So, can I get a witness? Let's pray. Father God, as I, I think about these things that we talk about, I'm mindful of, of those who do not know you, who do not know the, the gift of salvation that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, and maybe even some who are listening right now. And Father, I just pray for their hearts. I pray that you will open their hearts and your minds to the message of Jesus Christ, to the person of Jesus Christ, and ultimately to the gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. I pray that, Father, today for them would be the day of salvation, that they would receive the gift of what you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. But, Father, I'm also mindful of us who have been given that gift of salvation, who have received that gift of salvation, who have been buried in baptism into your son and into your church but Father, I, I know that even in my own life, there are times when, when it's more about information than it is about transformation. And so Father, I pray that you would move me, that you would move us from just knowing about you to knowing you and to knowing what a difference you've made and what a difference you desire to make in our lives. And Father, may that spur us on to know what a difference you can make in the lives of those around us. Father, ignite our faith. Empower us through your spirit to live the kind of life that provokes people to ask the question, who is this Jesus that, Father, we proclaim as our Lord and our Savior? Father, help us to be your witnesses to the world around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the, the buzzwords that we're hearing a lot these days is the word essential. You know, what, in the midst of this pandemic, what, what is essential? You know, what's an essential job? What's an essential business? What's an essential worker? What's an essential activity? What's an essential item? You know, what, what, what can I go to the grocery store? What, what's essential? And, and certainly we've all got our own opinions on that. And, uh, I'm not smart enough, I'll admit, to, to, to really decipher what is and, and what isn't essential as it relates to those things. But, but it did get me thinking about what, what truly is essential in this life. And certainly in no way at all do I want to diminish the importance of, of any job or any worker or any person or any business. But, 
I do wonder, even in the midst of these times narrowing our focus on what is essential, if that word still isn't a bit watered down. Because really in the midst of all the essentials, there is but one and only one thing that is truly essential. And that's actually not a thing, but a person, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, here's, here's what's truly important. Here's what's truly essential. That Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was raised, or that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Here's the reality. Without that truth, and without that reality, nothing else really matters, much less is essential. Without the, the fact that we had someone, a Savior, the very Son of God, who died for us while we were dead in our sins to give us life, of all the things that we may deem essential and important, that reality of what Jesus Christ did for us through his death and his resurrection is above everything else. And I hope that in the midst of all the things that we may deem as essential, that we remember what truly is essential. The gift of salvation through his death and his resurrection. Let's give thanks for the bread. Fathers, we come to your table, certainly at many tables today in our homes but we come together at, at your table to commune together with you and with each other to share and break bread together and to remember the sacrifice that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We are mindful that, Father, there are so many things that, that we get caught up in that are essential or important. But, Father, in the end, none of those things truly matter without your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross. And so, Father, as we share in this time together, as we break bread together Father, may we be reminded of, of just what he bore for us. Not only did he bear our sins, and certainly that's at the top, but Father, he also bore our pain. He bore our punishment. And Father, ultimately, he bore the death that was due us so that we might have life. And he did that for us. And so, Father, as we break this bread together, may, be, may we remember that sacrifice. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the juice. Father, we are also mindful of his blood that was shed for us. Not only his body that was given for us, the crown of thorns that was put on his head and the, the suffering and pain that he endured for us, but Father, also the, the blood that he shed for us that cleanses us, that washes us as white as snow. Father, that then in the midst of the darkness of our sin, that you sent him to die for us so that we, that we can be washed, so that we can be clean, so that we can be pure, so that one day we have a hope that we will spend eternity with you. Father, remind us of that reality, the truth and the power of that reality that comes through the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's close our time in prayer. 
Father God, we just thank you for this time that we get to share together in worship. And I know that, Father, it saddens our hearts in many ways that we can't be together physically. And yet, Father, I pray that you will ignite our hearts with your love and your grace. That, Father, even in the midst of these difficult circumstances, we may see the light of your Son and we may be energized. But, Father, also give us an ignition in our hearts and our souls to share the good news of your Son with others. Father, may we naturally, may it naturally flow out of the way that we live our lives, but Father, may it also be something that we are intentional about. Father, may we be intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, because Father, you were intentional about sending him to die for us. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation you've given to us, and Father, for those who do not know you, I pray that you will open their hearts and minds to that same gift of salvation, that they may know your Son and the saving power and grace that you've given us through him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, have a blessed day.